0: Hello, and welcome to Coexisting. It's 2020, and due to the coronavirus making its way across the world, we find our towns and cities in lockdown in an effort to slow the pandemic. Quite apart from the COVID headlines filling our screens, I was curious to hear how people were living day to day. So, I asked the same eight questions to people in different countries to get a glimpse of their lives during their version of shelter at home. The questions I ask cover life right now as that person is living it. What day of shelter are you on? What are the rules in place? What is it like in the streets where you live? What practical advice has helped you at this time? What is your most memorable moment? And what would you say to someone who is feeling low today? It's part information, part human story archive, but mainly trying to get an uplifting bent on this insane situation we find ourselves in. And, at the same time, preserving these memories in audio. Memories that will, in a very few short months, be forgotten. So, plug in those headphones, or that speaker, grab a cup of tea, or a glass of the good stuff, and take a seat. This is Coexisting.
1: Hello, I'm Charles. I live in the sunny city of Perth with my wife and two adult children, and one who's moved out. I am a PhD student and casual academic, and I've been doing that for far too long. I am doing participant action research on the impacts of mining on Indigenous communities in Papua New Guinea. So I had to actually look up what day of shelter I was on, because my life hasn't changed a whole lot. So after doing a bit a little bit of research, I found out that I've been sheltering for 30 days. I'm currently sheltering with my wife, and my son and daughter, my eldest daughter moved out on sort of day one of lockdown. My work has only changed a little, really, and the same for my wife, we're both doing the same job. We're both still being paid. I mention her because she earns a lot more than me, which means our house is still comfortable. As a casual academic, my work has gone online, which is interesting because I'd resisted any offer to do any external teaching leading up to this virus, but we've had to go to online, so that's been a bit of a learning curve. But it's still basically the same work. I'm casual in that I'm offered a new contract every semester, so twice a year you find out a few weeks before the start of term whether you're going to get any work for that semester. And ironically, I've just found out that whilst my work won't be impacted by the virus, it will probably disappear because of the government's response to the virus. So there's a JobKeeper program here in Australia, and if you're eligible for that, then the government pays part of your wages. I'm not eligible for that, and so now i become a less desirable Employee. The shelter at home rules in Australia are different from state to state. So, the sort of outbreak of the virus was much more significant in the eastern states. I'm four and a half thousand kilometres away in Western Australia. So, we've only had 600 cases of COVID 19 so far. We've got off pretty scot free. In the whole of the state over the whole time, I think seven people in Western Australia have died. And A lot of our cases of the coronavirus actually came from people on cruise liners and international travel. There hasn't been a lot of local transmission, but they still closed the place down. So they closed universities and schools, pubs, clubs, restaurants, gyms, sporting stuff. You can't meet outside with more than two people or inside for that matter. So they're fairly strict, I suppose. But if you're moving, you can still get out and about. I rode in this morning with my wife to her work and then home along the beach. That's so a 50K ride, what, 20-odd miles. And there's lots of people at the beach. I actually sent you in a photo that shows all the people surfing. I mentioned that because you're allowed out if you're exercising. So if you're walking, riding, walking your dog, swimming, surfing, all of those things are fine as long as you're two metres away from everybody else. As a cyclist, it's quite wonderful. All of those cars that are trying to kill you most of the time, they're just not there on the road. The roads are really quiet. And so uh, you can go for a ride. We went through a ride a couple of weeks ago through the Swan Valley, Sunday morning, almost no cars, nice and quiet. I mean, you've got to look for the flip side, yeah? So that's one of the nice things is that the world has slowed down and it's not so noisy. We're just really lucky here, I think, in that we're getting the benefit of the lockdown in a way, but we haven't been massively impacted. Obviously, financially, there's a lot of impacts, but we haven't seen a lot of the coronavirus. So it's not the same sort of desperate situation that some countries who perhaps haven't been quite so lucky are having a lot more trouble. We watch the United States with a weird fascination about how the response is being organised or not over there. So today, it's, or it's a Friday, it's, it's um, 11 o'clock in the morning. So I've been for my ride this morning, come home, had another coffee and um, settling into work. I'm pretty mm. lucky in that I've got a dedicated shed of sorts. It's fairly quiet. I've got it closed at the moment, but normally the doors open to the outside and the shed The office is situated under half a dozen big trees. We're on a large block, so there's a lot of space around us. So pretty much I get to sit here and listen to the birds and the wind in the trees and and a bit of road noise and stuff every now and again. This has been my home office for five years. So transitioning to more time at home hasn't exactly been painful. I'd say the biggest impact is that my wife, who's a health worker, she's a a paediatric dietitian, so she's at the hospital most days. But one day a week, she works from home and is seeing clients over the phone or on Zoom. So on that day, I have to leave my home office because she gets it. In terms of my own personal experience in in self-isolation, it's been a really lovely time with the immediate family. So my son turned 21 during the, the lockdown, if we can call it that. So there was just the four of us who live here and the daughter who's moved out came back. You're allowed one person to visit. So we were even within the rules there. And we had a lovely night. We played some board games. We listened to some music. We drank a bit too much wine. We played some pool. We went to bed at two o'clock. We tried to give him a pretty good 21st, even though he would have much rather been celebrating with his mates. Yeah, so that was something that just wouldn't have happened if we didn't have any restrictions on us i'm loving my cycling and visiting the beach we're still allowed to go to the beach here to go for a swim and anyone who's been to western australia will know that i mean if someone comes within five meters of you at the beach they're definitely invading your personal space so a two meter restriction is is nothing you know yeah on a normal day five meters is too close so you can easily get under the beach, and even when it's full by West Australian standards, you're not close to anyone. You can find your own bit of sand really easily. You can find your own bit of water really easily. I'm giving a skewed sort of report because our life hasn't changed much, but a, a friend of mine who runs his own cafe, that's just been shut down completely. He's had to let all of his staff go. They're doing a little bit of catering. So there are a lot of people who have lost jobs and or are being forced not to go to, to work. I do have one small practical tip for self-isolation and that's make sure you get some wine in before it starts. And then even if you're not totally self-isolated, i.e. even during restrictions, I could still buy three bottles of wine, a carton of beer and a bottle of spirits. You could buy two out of those every single day and buying alcohol was regarded as a reasonable excuse to leave the home. So it's not like I've been without, but in making sure I had a little bit before the lockdown started. Maybe this is something you shouldn't do, because I find I've been working my way through my supplies, you know, perhaps a little quicker than I normally would. Western Australia placed alcohol purchasing restrictions. The reason didn't really have anything to do with with COVID-19, it's... A sad reality that a lot of emergencies in hospitals are related to alcohol consumption. So the idea was to lessen the impact on hospitals by reducing alcohol as a cause of hospitalization. And apparently it worked really well. We had like a 30, 40% drop in emergency visits. Just and like I said, you could still buy a carton of beer a day. It wasn't like people weren't drinking, but there wasn't as much partying, not as much driving. So alcohol and road and alcohol-related incidences were much, much less. Sitting here in Western Australia, I feel a bit of a fraud during the whole crisis. So my work, my research, and my, where I've been trying to help people for the last more than 10 years, so really concerned like about places that just don't have any of the resources to respond to COVID-19. And countries where self-isolation is just totally impractical. I mean, I, I look on with horror at what the US and parts of Europe have done, but I see that as a little bit different because things could have been done better. A bit of hubris, I think, in that the rich world not responding as quickly even as what China did. But I feel a bit fraudulent in that we're in sort of lockdown, but I think the worst is yet to come for the countries in the global South. I'm hoping the West is going to get its acting to gear like really quickly so we can start sending the help that's required to the countries who just can't afford to have the coronavirus. So the last time I went to Papua New Guinea was February the 12th, I think. At that point, I decided if it was a holiday, I wouldn't have gone because I was quite concerned going into a country with practically no health service. I was concerned not just about COVID-19, but also government response, that I might have been locked out of Australia. So I've only, I only just came back on the 25th of Feb. So that's my most recent trip there. I'm not really due to go back until September, October, although I can't really see myself going back within the next year, maybe even two. I think the virus, unfortunately, will be long lasting in Papua New Guinea, and it won't be a place Australians will be encouraged to go to. But fortunately, I have a great team that I work with in Papua New Guinea, and so, I will be able to send the research I'm writing up to them, and they'll be able to go and visit the communities that we work with and disseminate it, which is sort of part of our normal practice. I would have gone with them, but um we can work around it. So, yeah, I'm not sure when I'll get to go back. So only a few cases in Papua New Guinea so far at the moment, so there's not a lot of impacts, really, but the community that I work with most, um so if you want to imagine a place where there's no road, there's no running water, there's no electricity, so there's no school. There's a small health post about 40 minutes away. That's where the closest road is. So this is a small semi-subsistence community that basically builds their own houses, provides their own food and water. The virus, I think, will go through that community really quickly, and it's hard to imagine being able to stop it. All we did was made an extra big donation to Medicine Science Frontiers, who operate in the province that I work in, in Papua New Guinea, and hope that they will be able to do something about it. I know the challenge is to send out a message to the world. That's really difficult because I'm sitting in such a privileged position here in Perth. You know, 12,500 kilometres of beach line in Western Australia, hardly any people, hardly any COVID-19. I don't know whether I have much to offer I suppose if I had a message, it would be to focus on the positive rather than the terrible, that at terrible times, people do beautiful things. And so rather than having your feed bring you lots of sad stories and updated stats on on how bad the situation today is, then look for the happy stories, look for the people who sacrifice and just want to make the world better for other people. And then if you're lucky enough, you know go for a walk do a little bit of exercise think about all the beautiful things that people do and go back inside and, and do what needs to be done because this will all end and maybe I'm really hoping that there's enough of a shock to the world that we rethink about how we were running the world and who was really benefiting so with my work and my my life a lot of the focus is on the global south. So I think the inequities that we see in COVID-19 existed before and will exist after. The fact that it hurts poor and, and black people more is something that's been in society for years. And so I'm starting to sound down again, but actually what I'm trying to say is that hopefully enough people will see that the world wasn't as good as it could be and that with a bit more solidarity between people, between countries, across classes, then maybe we can make the world a whole lot better than it was before. And that would be my hope.
0: Thank you for listening to Coexisting. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear the story unfold, I would be grateful if you could share this with a friend and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. That way that many more people will find us.